So on Friday night, um, Susan and I celebrated 16 years of being married to one another. That's good, yeah. She stayed with me for 16 years. That's worth celebrating, right? And here's what has happened in our 16 years. We've had lots of things in our lives, ups, downs, good, bad. Uh, It's been a great life, a great existence. Um, But also, for 11 and a half of those years, we have had children. So 16 years we've been married, 11 and a half of those years we've had children. One, two, three, four, and we're done. All right. But one of the things that happens when you have children for 11 and a half years is that you get subjected to a lot of children's television. Amen. And over the last 11 and a half years, I have been subjected to lots of children's television. For instance, our first experience with children's television were Four guys in different colored shirts. I think we got a picture of them right there. Who's this here? The Wiggles, right? The hot potato, hot potato, right? Cold spaghetti, cold spaghetti. Anybody, how many of you know the Wiggles, right? Thank you, Riley. Good enough. So here's the thing. So this is our 16th wedding anniversary. Susan and I took a honeymoon to... Uh, I've told many of you this story before. As soon as I took a honeymoon to Hawaii, we said on our 10th anniversary, we're coming back to Hawaii. On our 10th anniversary, we were in Nashville Municipal Auditorium listening to these guys. Right? So when Luke came along, we were determined no wiggles, right? We got our wiggles filled. We were done with it. But then we got introduced to this character and her friends. Dora, 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 the Explorer, with the most poignant, meaningful song in the history of kids' television. I'm a map. 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 All right? And and because we had boys at the time, we were really excited when Dora's cousin joined the children's television works because we could give them not just Dora, but Diego. How many of you know Diego? We're getting away from some of you, right? So Diego, go, Diego, go. That's baby Jaguar. That's his pet, baby Jaguar. Isn't that a cute little pet to have around the house? Little pet Jaguar. So you had Diego, and we went from Diego. We were in a Nickelodeon phase at this time, Nick Jr. phase. Uh, We went from Diego to the Wonder Pets. How many of you have never seen a Wonder Pets episode? You can say praise be to God right now. All right, you can give thanks to all that is good in life. Uh, Ling Tuck and Ming Ming too. All right? And then we went to Webzy, 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 Wow, Wow, his friends. And then we kind of went away from the Nick Jr. stuff, which was good. And we got introduced. They brought back for our kids, Mickey Mouse and friends. And so that made us spend the rest of our life savings on a trip to Disney World because we had to see all of these guys, right? The parents acting like that doesn't cost a fortune, all right? And then you, after Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, uh, our girls came along and they are, were into Dot McStuffins. And because we're Christians in our house, you have to also watch Veggie Tales, all right? I mean, if you like to 
talk to tomatoes. Um, and all of these trips through there, what you realize is there are some of them that aren't that bad. And there are some that the first time you see them, you realize I've got a year and a half of this. And it's going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard. So here's what I want you to do, all right? Just with the people you're around, just for a moment, I want you to turn to them. I want you to tell them your favorite kids show growing up, all right? Whether that was like last week or like that's been a long time ago, all right? Turn and tell them your favorite kids show growing up. All right, do it now. All right, somebody tell me one. Shout it out. Star Rangers, is that what you said? Oh, power. I was like, what is Star Rangers? I know... We don't we don't say that phrase in church. Sorry. Power Rangers over here. Phineas and Ferb. What was that? Pink Panther. All right. We do not say Barney in the church either. What? Thundercats. All right. I was a original G.I. Joe Transformers man back in the day. He man power masters of the universe. All those shows. All right. Here is. Scooby-Doo, any Scooby-Doo fans out there? All right. Here is my daughter Maddie's current favorite show. All right. It's this little guy. Anybody know who this is? Daniel Tiger. Some of our youth know that. That's good to know. All right. This is Daniel Tiger. All right. Daniel Tiger plays with his friends. Oh, the owl. Katarina, Kitty Cat, Prince Wednesday, and Miss Elena. Now, um, here's what's interesting to me about it, because there are some of these shows that bring back nostalgia for me. Daniel Tiger is the son of Daniel the Striped Tiger. O the Owl is the child of X the Owl. Katarina, Kitty Cat is the child of Henrietta Pussycat. Prince Wednesday is the son of King Friday. And Miss Elena is the child of Lady... Elaine Fairchild. What is that from? Mr. Rogers, right? There he is. How many of you know this guy? How many of you have no clue who this is? I am sorry, Courtney Brooks. You are Teletubbies and not knowing Mr. Rogers. You are striking out today. All right. All right. This is Fred Rogers, right? And when I was growing up, we did not have a myriad of channels and programming for children. You had Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. And that's all that I had. And so when I was in Dyersburg growing up watching TV, we would get this in the afternoon and you would have Mr. Rogers come in and sit down on the couch and change his shoes and take the sweater and hang it up. And then you'd play in the land of make believe and all that. And this was children's programming for us. And here's what's interesting about Fred Rogers. He is from the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And. The first public television station in the country was there. And he walked in one day and he said, I want to do a show aimed at kids to teach them just general life lessons with some straight talk and puppets and make-believe land. And he gave all this stuff. And at that time, they really didn't have any kind of programming. And so they were like, sure, but we don't know that that'll work. Here's why Fred Rogers went in that day. During spring break of his final year of seminary, how many of you knew Fred Rogers went to seminary, right? There are crazy stories out there about Fred Rogers, by the way. 
I get forwarded about once every two months the one about him being all tattooed and war hero and all that. That's not true, all right? But he was a seminary guy, and in the spring break of this last year of seminary, he got exposed to television for the first time. This was in the early 60s, and it was he was watching it, and he couldn't understand how people could degrade each other like they did on television. And he said, the reason I went into television is because I hated it. And I hated what it was producing. This is what I love about that passage, or that idea. Instead of joining a picket line and writing a bunch of nasty letters and complaining to everybody I knew, Fred Rogers said, instead of avoiding it and yelling at it and criticizing it, I'm going to take, and he believed that it was a calling of the Lord on his life, I'm going to change television. Last week, we started this whole process of talking about changing your world. And we talked about doing what you can do where you are to change the environment we live in. And the theme verse kind of for this uh for this whole series is that verse that Jeff's already referenced as we sang about being children of light. That Jesus said to us, to his followers, that we are to be the light of the world. And that a city on a hill should not be hidden. And that we should shine forth through our good deeds and our love and our mercy and our grace. And that people will see how we're acting. And they will give praise and honor and glory to our Father who is in heaven. And what we're talking about in this series is the idea that we are the change agents of society. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't, this passage will be up on the screen today. And I want to tell you this really cool story that goes to a final verse that gets to a final word. And we're going to spend some time today talking about that word. But before we get to that word, I want to get to that verse. And before we get to that verse, I want to get to the story. So I want you just to go along with the ride for just a minute. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's just a really cool story. And it's about a couple of guys that had a really bad day. Anybody had a bad day? Yeah. I mean, this is like bad day. Terrible day. Horrible day. Not so good day. Chapter 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and bought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, here, here's the, the scene. So, so that's we is Paul, Luke, and other believers that are in Philippi planting a church. And as they're there, they are encountered by this servant girl, this slave girl. And she had a demonic force inside of her, an evil spirit inside of her. And that gave her the ability to predict the future. And so as a fortune teller, she... She did not make a lot of money, but her owner made a whole lot of money because he had this girl who had an evil spirit inside of her that could predict the future. And she encounters Paul and Luke. It goes on to tell me as the next verse. She followed Paul and us 
crying out. So get the picture. They're walking around the city. They're talking about Jesus. They're meeting people. They're ministering to people. They're talking about all the things that life is supposed to be about. And all the while they're walking, behind them is this girl who has the ability to foresee the future because of an evil spirit inside of her. And she is yelling the whole time, These men are servants of the God Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, a couple of things about that. First of all, it shows us just as when Jesus was walking the earth that sometimes the evil spirits understood more who Jesus was than the people that were following Jesus. And they would often be in a place and they would say, you are son of the Most High. Well, here they're saying, this guy's speaking the truth about the Most High God. Secondly, I don't think that this girl through the influence of the evil spirit, is trying to tell people to listen to Paul. I think she's trying to get Paul in trouble. It wasn't popular to preach Jesus in that day. Or a different way of salvation than the Roman gods or the Jewish God. So she just does this. She follows them around, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Next verse says, She kept doing this for many days. So day after day, Paul, Luke, the others are trying to minister and they keep having this girl behind them, taunting them, yelling at them, screaming at them, talking about them, telling other people about them. And when all this happens for day after day after day after day, what do you think happens? What would happen with you? You get tired of it. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turns, I just get this picture of him that, you know, you, you know that look, right? When you've had enough. If you've got a spouse, you know the look from your spouse when they've had enough, right? And they turn to you and you see it in their eyes and you're like, oh. Paul spins on his heels, looks at it and this girl and says, I've had enough. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. Done. Paul thinks problem solved. Turn around, rebuke the spirit, spirit's gone, we're done. Who's going to get mad about this? The owners, right? Why? Because their money train is gone. Look what it says. But when her owners saw, and I love the way that the, this is the English standard verse, I love the way it says this. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. That's the nice way to say their cash cow had left. They've been making money on this girl, just all they could make, and then all of a sudden she's gone. They get mad. They go get Paul and Silas, and this is where the really bad day starts for Paul and Silas. They grab Paul and Silas. They drag them to the marketplace before the rulers. They get before the rulers, and they bring them there, and they say, These men are Jews. They're not Roman citizens. They're not people that we care about. These are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They're introducing customs. They're telling people to follow them, and we cannot do it as Romans. It is unlawful. It is not right, and you need to do something about it. So they do. The magistrates talk it over. They take their clothes off of them, tell them to go be beaten with rods. After the beating, that's not enough. It says many blows had been inflicted upon them. They threw them in a prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely there. Now let's stop right there for a minute. That's a bad day. 
And you got this girl following you the whole time. You finally have enough. You turn around. You say, out of him. Get out. Evil spirit, go. They go. You get arrested. You get pulled before the magistrates. You get beaten with rods without any clothes on. You get thrown into jail. And you're not only thrown into jail. Uh, it tells us in the next verse that the jailer put them in the central inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. The most secure cell in the whole prison Feet fastened in stocks, that's a bad day. You know, most people on a day like that are going to, well, they're going to complain. Now, some of you know this story, and you know that's not what happens with Paul and Silas, but they had reason to complain, right? There are many times in my life when I have no reason to complain, and you know what I do anyways? I complain. Just a little too hot, a little too cold. Food wasn't just right. These guys have been beaten with rods while naked in front of the town, thrown into the centralized prison and put in stocks. And then it tells us this. We're getting to the verse. We're getting there. Around midnight, about approximately, they realized they didn't have clocks on the wall, all right? Somewhere around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I want you to notice something real quickly. It doesn't say around midnight they started. Most scholars, most people believe that what happened is they were singing and praying the entire time out loud from the moment they got arrested till they found themselves in that jail cell and continued. There's a whole nother sermon on our attitude in the midst of difficulty there. We're not going to do that today. The prisoners were listening to them. I mean, first of all, how could you not? It wasn't like there was a lot of space, but they're listening and they're understanding and they're what in the world is going on. And in the midst of Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God, there is a great earthquake. The foundations of the earth are shaken and all the doors of the prison fly open and all the bonds that are holding people are unfastened. It is prison break ready to go. The jailer wakes up. He sees the doors are open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, here's the reason. Who's going to be blamed if every prisoner in the prison is gone? Him. I mean, just imagine in our own day, what would happen if the... Tennessee State Penitentiary, when I, when I was pastoring in Ripley, Tennessee, just about 10 miles, 15 miles from us was Fort Pillow State Penitentiary, where they sent some of the roughest criminals around. Now imagine if suddenly every prisoner in that prison is gone. Do you think anybody's going to catch any heat over that? Yeah. This guy's like, I'm done. He thought the prisoners had escaped. And I love this. Paul yells at him. Don't harm yourself. And I love this. For we are all here. Not a single prisoner left. You realize that's not normal, right? If you're a prisoner and you're in jail and the doors open and your bonds come off, what is your first natural instinct? Run. Get out of there. They don't. They stay. The jailer calls for lights. He rushes in and trembling with fear, he falls down before Paul and Silas and he says to them, you feel like there's a lot more in this question than 
than we know. He falls at their feet and he is overwhelmed with what has just happened in this place and that his life has been saved because of these guys. And he says, what do I do to get the God that you serve? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now, we're going to go on in just a minute, not yet. Because that's not the end of the verse and that's not to the word that I want to talk about. But just think of the scene that is there. And the influence of Paul and Silas. Can I say this? We will never have a greater impact on the people around us as followers of Jesus than we will when we show them faithfulness to him in the midst of adversity. Paul and Silas had had a terrible day. And it's not like they hadn't had a terrible week and month and year. This jailer says, what do I do to get what you've got? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But then they add this little line at the end and we're going to, you will be saved. You and your household. Now that word's kind of an interesting word there at the end. Let me first say this. This does not mean that they are telling him, if you'll just believe in Jesus, that everybody in your house will suddenly be okay and saved. Because you believe in Jesus, they're all okay. You realize that in the kingdom of God, there are no grandchildren. It is a decision that you must make for yourself. It is a personal decision that must be made. There is not this idea that somebody can make a decision and it suddenly affects other people and that they're saved. But what he's saying is this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, he changes your life. It's going to so radically change who you are that the people in your household will notice the difference and they'll follow Jesus as well. Now that word is interesting because when I say the word household, I immediately think of my household. And my household is Susan and me, Eli, Luke, Maddie, and Ava. I think of our house, I think of where we live, and I think of the, the rooms that we have. And in my mind, when I think of household, I immediately put that to mind. But that's not what this word means for them. It's a Greek word, and I know you all come excited every week saying, I hope he talks about Greek again. All right? It's a Greek word that is the word oikos. And what it actually means is not only your family, but it means the people that you oversee. It means the people that you do business with. It means the people that you come in contact with on a regular basis. It is basically saying you and your sphere of influence. What I love about this passage of Scripture, what it's saying to me is that we all are impacting the people and the places and the passions we have in life. We, we've called this series Change Your World. And, and the reality is this. You're going to change your world whether you mean to or not. The question for you is not, am I going to influence people? The question is, how am I going to influence people? And just as Paul looked at this jailer and said, if you will commit your life to following Jesus Christ, it will impact not only you, 
but your influences, your sphere of influence. I believe that part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to positively impact the people and the places and the passions we have around us. Can I tell you something? Whether you believe it or not, whether you want to know it or not, you have a sphere of influence that you impact on a daily basis with the decisions and the choices that you make. Today, here's what I want to do in the time we have left, which is not much. We're going to finish quickly here. I just want to help you find your sphere of influence. I want to help you find who it is that you impact. Three ways you can find that real quickly. First of all is asking the question, who are my people? Who are the people that are regularly a part of my life? Who are the people that I'm always around? Now, that's going to include family. That's going to include friends. That's going to include people that you work next to. Who are the people that are in my life? A a recent study shows that on average, a person spends more than an hour a week of quality time with 12 different people. On average... You will spend about an hour or more of quality time with 12 different people. So the question is for you, who are those people? Who are the people in your life that you are around constantly? Is it the person you sit next to at work? Is it the person that you uh, ride back and forth with, commute back and forth with to, to downtown or to work? Is it uh, on the weekends you're hanging out with this group of people? Or at night you, you have a standing appointment to, to do sporting events with this, this person or these people? Is it your family that you're constantly around? One of the sad things about that study found that on average, dads have 12 people that they spend more than an hour a week with. But, but here's what was kind of frightening about that. With each of their own children, they spend an average of seven minutes a day. Seven minutes a day for seven days is 49 minutes, less than an hour. Well, it's not good enough. God has placed people in your life for a specific reason. The people you come in contact with on a regular basis that are your friends, that are your family, that are your close co-workers, those people have been placed in your life for a reason. This week, I want you to make a list of your 12. These are the people that I am spending more than an hour a week on average. These are the people. I say that, I mean... Quality, good time. It can be two on two or three on three, but not like I'm sitting in a class with a teacher every day and they're teaching me for an hour a day. I mean, conversation level time. Here's the thing. If you make that list and you've got two, you know what that means? You need to get out of the house is what that means. You need to do some things, all right? Now, if you make that list and you got 45, stay home, all right? Calm down a little bit. The truth is, the people that are in closest proximity to us are the easiest ones for us to influence. Now, 
the direct relationship of that is they're also the easiest ones to influence us. And so that's why we have to be very careful about who we associate with on a regular basis and the influencing that happens back and forth. The second way you can tell your sphere of influence is not only your people, but also your places. My people, my place. Where, where has God put me? And so you realize that none of you chose where you were going to be born, right? None of you made that decision. It just happened. Why did God put us there? Why did God put you here? Why do you live where you live in the neighborhood you live in? Why do you work where you work in the area that you work? Why, why do you... Um, why do you go to the restaurants you go to, to the stores that you go to? You realize that you have very predictable travel patterns and that, in fact, uh, researchers now can take a day's worth of where you've been or three or four days worth of where you've been and identify who you are by where you go. So why has God placed you there? It's a much deeper sense in our lives. We begin to ask ourselves the question every day all along. Why am I here? Not not just why I'm on this earth, but why am I in this place, at this job, with these people at this time? When you see every opportunity that comes into your way is an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus, to share about Jesus, to ask people about their life. It changes how you view things. And God will begin to open up your life. This week, I preached last week about finding a need and filling it and, he, you know, sensing a hurt and healing it. And this week, it just seemed like every day this week, God brought people into my life that I didn't even have to go out of my way to ask about it, that volunteered and were there as proof that God was showing me that he was using and had a specific purpose for me that day. Jeff and I were out to eat this week, and I told the story last week about the waitress and asking the question. This week, I didn't have to ask the question. She started volunteering information that we needed to pray for. And it was, it couldn't have been more clear in that moment that God was saying, you're right here right now at this table for her. Three or four people this week, I thought I need to contact in some way. I need to have some kind of conversation or just say hello, just some brief way. And three or four different people actually wrote down their names in my office on Monday. And every one of them, somewhere I was this week, that they weren't necessarily supposed to be, or I didn't know they were going to be, they were there. In a place where we could just say hello, check in. Friday night, Susan and I, uh, I mentioned our anniversary, we went out to eat and we're sitting there eating and it's a nice restaurant and we made reservations and so we were there waiting. First time we'd ever been to this particular restaurant and waitress comes up and she looks at our name tag and she says, uh, you know, all week I've been praying, just not just for that, but Lord, help me to see opportunities to engage in conversation. That's one of the prayers I pray. Lord, help me to see these opportunities and know what to say. And so she picks up our name tag and she goes, oh, Larson's, it's great to have you here today. Um, that's going to be easy for me to remember because my name's Larson too. It's like God couldn't make it any plainer. Now, she doesn't spell her name correctly, but that's okay. She spells it with an E, not an O, right? 
And so that, that led to a conversation about um, she had married until she was married and had married a Larson and his family's from um, part of Europe and mine's from a different part of Europe. And we just had those kind of general conver- you know, conversation. And before long, we're going into deeper kind of things. And by the end of the night and of our great meal, she's back. We we're, we're probably cost her some tips because she would end up talking to us a lot. But as we're there, we find out that this waitress that we have at this very nice restaurant in the next two weeks is moving to Florida, starting a teaching job in a kindergarten classroom. Her husband, she has a two-year-old son, and her husband takes the bar on Tuesday. That's a little stressful. And we just had a moment to be able to pray with her, to talk with her, and the Lord used us to bless her in that moment. And this is the thing that God has shown me all week. You are where you are for a reason at all times. The Bible says <laughs> that we try to plan our days and we think it's right in our heart and God has a different idea altogether. So this week I want you to write down the places that you're regularly at and ask the Lord how you, your work, your school, your home, where you eat, where you buy gas, where you shop. Lord, how are you want to use me in my place? And then the last one is my passion. You want to know your sphere of influence? It's the people you're around, it's the places you go, and it's the passions you have, the things that God has made you to do. You know those things in your life that just, you can't wait to do it. Sometimes God shows us those things and things that irritate us. We see something out of place and we think, I wonder when somebody's going to do something about that. And God's looking at us going, you are. Your sphere of influence is to be around the people that you're around, the places that you are, and the way that God has made you to live and to act and to love and the passions you have in your life. So here's my challenge to you this week. Because next week... We're going to talk more specifically about what it means to find a need and fill it and to find a hurt and heal it. But this week, what I want you to ask is, all right, Lord, help me to know my people. Help me to know my place and help me to know my passion. And sometime this week, I want you to write down the list of your people and the list of places you go and a list of your passions and begin to pray over each one of those things about what God would want you to do to use your influence for his kingdom. Let's pray together.